And so uh, the book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke, and he was a physician, he was a doctor, and he, he was a follower of Jesus. And um, in his first book he wrote, it's called The Gospel of Luke, he talks about uh, this person named Jesus, uh, who was God come in the flesh, and how he lived up until his death and his resurrection. And the book of Acts is basically what happens after the resurrection, and, um, and it's about how a handful of Jewish people that were following this sort of small-time Jewish teacher became this thing that we know as Christianity, uh, how the church formed, how it became a worldwide and diverse um, movement that has reached all the way to places that they didn't even know existed, like America, and is here with us today. And um, here, here's why you should care about, about what we're going to do this semester as we read Acts. It's because the things that were true of Jesus um, when the book of Acts was written are every bit as urgent and real for us today. And they still have the power to take you um, from uh, an awareness or an association with God to a real relationship and vibrant new life um, in God. And, uh, you know, the, one of the funny things about, about working on campus is uh, that relationships happen. You may be new, and this is your first week in uh, Coltrane or wherever, Bowie or wherever you're living, and romance may already be a bloom for you. <laughs> and... Uh, <clears throat> And I feel like maybe like the first month romance of college is just like a rite of passage, a mistake that must be made by all um, to learn. But um, I'm always interested in when does people hanging out together become a thing, right? And when I ask people, is it a thing, everybody always knows what I'm asking when I ask that question. I'm like, hey, you've been hanging out with, uh, you know old girl, old boy, and, uh, and is it a thing? And, and like, everyone knows what that means, but it's also kind of nebulous and, and mysterious at the same time. Um, how does it become a thing? Is it Facebook official that makes it a thing? That used to be what made it a thing. Um, the same can be true of, any, of a movement, right? How does it go from just a group of people that kind of care about the same thing to becoming a thing where it has vitality uh, and, and purpose to it? And the book of, of Acts is really how it went from people together with Jesus to a thing. Okay? And that thing is still at work in us now, and that's why we should pay attention to it. So we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 1. And you can read on your handout, or you can read along in a Bible, or you can just listen. Because there used to not be books, and that's how everyone got the Bible. So you're in good company with thousands of years if you just do that. So uh, this is the word of God from uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1. Uh, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Uh, This is the word of the living God, and we're going to take a moment to pray and ask his blessing on it. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. It is enough that has been read to us, and um, it's enough to change us. It's enough for you to do what you want to do through it. Um, But Lord, we still struggle to understand it. We still struggle to understand what, what does it mean to me where I am right now as a student at Appalachian. And because of that, Lord, we ask you to be merciful that you would send your spirit to us, that we would understand your word, and that through it we would see Jesus and have new life in him when we pray in his name. Amen. So basically what I'm telling you tonight is that there are realities about Jesus that are as true today as they were when this book was written, and they can take you from an awareness or an association with God to a thing with Jesus, um, to a real uh, life with Jesus. And the first thing that was true in this, in this text that's true now is that Jesus is alive. Um, Jesus lived in his humanity 2,000 years ago. Um, but I'm submitting to you today from this passage that Jesus is alive right now. Uh, if, if you were boiled down to like an essence, like if there was, like a, if there was a fragrance that was you, right, and they boiled everything down to the essence of, of, of Lissy or essence of Garrett, um, which... We should talk about that later, what that would be. Um, uh, what would it be? Would it be a, a personality trait? Would it be something that you're really good at? What is the thing that is like the singular most important essence of who you are? Uh, if you boiled the church down, the Christian faith down to something that is singular and most important, it would be this, that Jesus really died on the cross and that Jesus was really actually raised from the dead. From the beginning, that has been the central Thing that has held and held the church together and given the church real vitality, um, and the resurrection is the central and most unique reality of the Christian faith. And these handfuls of followers of Jesus, um, they were nobody. And when he died, they were terrified, and yet they became convinced beyond all shadow of a doubt that he actually came back to life. In our passage, it says that uh, he was with them for forty days. It says that he was he uh, he was staying with them. He ordered them not to depart. He he appeared to himself alive after uh, during forty days about with many proofs and speaking about the kingdom of God. These people were actually so convinced that Jesus actually was raised from the dead that the 12 people that were closest to Jesus called his apostles actually all were killed because of their belief in the resurrection. They were all um, martyred or killed for their faith. They went to the grave because they believed that Jesus was really raised from the dead. And the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, basically, that if the resurrection didn't really happen, if Jesus died and he stayed in the grave, then um, we are all without hope. That's pretty serious. Um, and that Christians are of all people most to be pitied in the world. Because not only are we without hope, but we sound really stupid. Because we believe that our God died and was raised from the dead. Um, one of my favorite writers is a woman, her name was Flannery O'Connor. And uh, 
I, I love her for many reasons, most of which is that she's from Georgia, like I am, and I love all people from Georgia, so if you're here and you're from Georgia, God bless you. And uh, <laughs> she was a Catholic short story writer, and um, probably her most famous story, which some of you may have read in like 11th grade English, I hope you did, um, is a story called A Good Man is Hard to Find. And it's basically a short story about a family who's on a road trip, and they fall into the hands of some guys, some murderers who had escaped from a local prison. She's dark. Um, and uh, the climax of the story is this, the grandmother of the family is pleading with the main bad guy, and his name is the misfit. And um, she's, she's aware that he is going to kill her, and she's pleading with him, and finally she's just merely just saying over and over again, Jesus, 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 like she doesn't know whether it's a curse or she's pleading to Jesus. And the misfit says this when she's saying Jesus. He says, Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead and he shouldn't have done it. He's shown everything off balance. If he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do, but throw away everything and follow him. And if he didn't, then it's nothing for you to do, but to enjoy the few minutes you've got left the best way you can. And for him, that's going on and wreaking havoc and uh, murdering and all that. And it's a really jarring way to put it, that if Jesus actually raised the dead, then you have to throw away everything and follow him. And if he didn't, nothing really matters. Um, That's jarring, and she intended it to be jarring, but it gets across the absolutely jarring reality of the resurrection. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead never to die again, that means that every person in this room doesn't have to be afraid because there's one that has overcome death. One that has overcome the thing that when you boil our fears down to its essence, it's dying. If Jesus was really raised, that means you don't have to be afraid of the future. You don't have to be afraid of the weekend. You don't have to be afraid of world powers or parental powers. You don't have to be afraid of freshman year. You don't have to be afraid of senior year. You don't have to be afraid of other people or of not making friends because you can share in a life that cannot be destroyed by the grave. Everything dies except Jesus and those that are in him. And yesterday I was sitting, I was sitting on Sanford and I was just taking it all in. First day of class is beautiful and amazing, especially when it's boon weather that's good. You will all experience boon weather that's not good. But until then, we'll enjoy it for what it is. And uh, I, was, I was talking with one of y'all, and uh, the person I was talking to was, was struggling through a decision. And uh, she said to me that, that, that what was hard about making this decision was that she was afraid that she was going to miss out on what God had for her based on this decision that she was making. And uh, I think probably a lot of us feel that way a lot of times. Uh, we feel this, this intense power in the decisions that we make. Am I going to miss out on something that God has for me? And if Jesus was raised and overcame death and is alive right now, here's what that means. There is nothing that you can do to overcome what he wants to do in the world and in your life and on our campus. Um, There's nothing that can prevent him from giving you new eternal life with him. And he's presenting himself alive to you tonight. Um, and if that's something that you continue to, sh- to struggle with, as like, is that a really a historical fact? There's some articles on the back uh, book table that you can take with you, and if they run out, just email me and I'll give you one. And that might sound good and hopeful, like you're saying, okay, um, if Jesus was raised, I can have new life in him, I don't have to be afraid. But what does Jesus being raised have to do with me? Because like, I wasn't raised, this is a person that lived 2,000 years ago, and is, I don't see him around. How is that something that is supposed to affect me? 
And it's because of the second reality. The first reality is that Jesus is alive. The second reality is that Jesus is in heaven. And uh, after Jesus spent 40 days walking around, uh, eating fish, hugging people, uh, in short, like being actually alive and proving beyond the shadow of the doubt that he was actually alive, he takes his close friends out to this hill and then he literally floats away like a balloon. Um, the ascension, which we call that, we call that the ascension in like Christian knees, um, is one of the more bizarre tenets of the Christian faith. And I'm willing to admit that. Uh, we had a guy in our group a couple of years ago that was a Japanese exchange student. And it was really great talking with them because a lot of this Christian stuff, I mean, a lot of you guys grew up with this as being normal. And it was all new to him. And so one night I was talking about the ascension. And afterward he was like, you really believe that? You know? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I was like, you think you could believe that? And he was like, no, definitely not. Um, and it's super weird to think, okay, Jesus is resurrected. He proves himself. And then he floats away. Like, uh, it, it, it warrants a little explanation. Okay? So I'll give you a little explanation. Look at verse 9 if you have, if you have a handout or whatever. It, it notice it doesn't say he floated off until they couldn't see him anymore. Like a balloon goes away and then it's a speck and then it's gone. It says, when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Like the eclipse if you were watching it in my house uh, on Monday. Uh, a cloud took it out of my sight. The good news was I looked at it without eclipse glasses. Um, and it still lived to, to see. Um, God lives, uh, okay, God is invisible. And throughout the Bible, there are a couple of ways that he typically will show himself. One of them is in fire, and another one is in the cloud. And we're going to talk about the fire part next week. But today, the cloud, um, what, what Luke is showing us here isn't that Jesus floated away but that Jesus went into God's presence. If a cloud shows us that this is God's presence, Jesus goes away and he's taken away in a cloud to be with God. And God's presence is what we often call heaven, right? And uh, it isn't somewhere out there, like sort of beyond the farthest distant star. Um, it's God's reality, while this here, the earth, is our Reality, And they're right along one another. They don't exist in these different temporal spaces. But God lives in God's domain, as it were. And we live on the earth, which is our domain. And many of us, and I understand that, that this, just throwing that out there sounds like, Ugh, that feels weird to me. Um, because many of us have this idea that the only things that are real are things that I can sort of see or touch or taste or I can measure. Something, things that are in the purely physical World, And that seems reasonable just to us to say only things that we can measure and quantify are real. But it doesn't make sense of what we intrinsically know to be true. That things like love are actual and not just a thought that exists in you know, everyone's brain at the same time. That things like justice are things that are real and true and have a physical manifestation and also something that is beyond. And it's actually not less real than the physical, but maybe even more Real. We know that something is very real that we can't see. And simply put, that's because there is something that is very real that we can't see, and that place is heaven. And when Jesus ascended, he went to that other place. 
And you can call that like, if you're like a Stranger Things fan, like you can call that like the right side up, I guess. And like maybe this would be the upside down. Uh, maybe Earth would be the upside down. And that would be the right side up. But simply to say, the world is much more alive and mysterious than we give it credit for. And only basically white Western modern people are uncomfortable with the fact that there's a supernatural realm where things are happening all around us. So like before we start getting a sort of uppity about, well, it's like, surely we don't think that what we believe is like somehow binding for the rest of the world. Most people are perfectly happy to say, yes, there's a supernatural realm with all kinds of things happen. And when Jesus, who was full, both fully divine and fully human, when he went to be with the Father, this, that means that for the first time, the unthinkable happened. And that's a human being went to be in God's place and is standing in God's presence. That has never, ever, ever happened. That something from the earth, a human, went to be with God. Because when Jesus became a human, he entered the world of like hair, you know, and grass, and skin, skin knees, right? And kissing, and goosebumps. Like that's the world that Jesus came to live in. And then that's the world that he took with him to heaven, And if you put your faith in Jesus, you are there with him too. And here's why. The New Testament uses the word Christian two times. We use the word Christian all the time. That's how we say someone believes in Jesus. The Bible uses that word two times. Dozens of times it uses the term in Christ. Because what the Bible would say is when you come to know Jesus, you don't just believe in Jesus. You are united to Jesus. You are in Jesus. You have a union with him so that whatever is true of him and wherever he is, is also true of you. And there you are. And so if you're here tonight and you know Jesus, this is weird. A lot of this stuff is weird. And the fact that we're all just like sitting here and like, okay, is also weird. Because if you're here tonight and you know Jesus... It means that you are simultaneously seated here in the Grandfather Mountain Ballroom of the Plymouth Student Union at Appalachian State University, and that you're also seated in the heavenlies, in God's presence, and experiencing currently the fullness of joy and looking to the face of God, the one that you were created to know and that you long to know, and he's smiling at you and saying, this is my child who I love. That's where you are right now, not where you're going to be one day if you're a good boy or good girl, but where you are right now. Mic drop. Mic drop, yeah. <laughs> I think it would have had to be a little bit better to be a mic drop. Um, I was recently reading a, a book by a guy who used to be a, a, a New York City investment banker and now he's a pastor. And uh, I really resonated with something that he said. He said, um, I had seen enough of Jesus to spoil my enjoyment of the world, but not enough to be content with Jesus alone. You get that? I had seen enough of Jesus to spoil my enjoyment of the world, to make it like not fun anymore to party and to be stupid, but not enough to be content with having Jesus alone. Um, it means I don't go to the party, but I sit home and I stew about it. Um, and that's probably a number of you here tonight. Um, and if that's you, this is good news. And good news, again, not that if you're a good boy or a girl, you'll go to be in heaven one day, but that you have died in Jesus when he died. And you have been raised to newness of life in Jesus when he was raised. And you have ascended to heaven and you are now enjoying the fullness of joy right now. 
And that nothing can ever separate you from that union with Jesus. That he wants to be united to you forever. The only way that we can put that into words in the Bible is to say, it's like when two people get married and they become like this one thing. What if you believe that was actually true? Like, what would that actually do to you right now? And the the last thing is this, uh, and it's that Jesus is coming back. When a relationship goes from not a thing to a thing, several events usually happen. Uh, The first is that the people share some vital moment together. They meet and they fall in love. Uh, uh, Or they're survivors of something together. Or they witnessed some event together that, like, binds them together. Like, I was at that game or I was at that concert. Um, And for that moment for believers, for people that believe in Jesus, is the resurrection. Um, And also to be a thing, you have to be united. You guys probably know this, but... You can't have a real vital relationship if one person has a foot out the door. Um, And it becomes a thing with Jesus because he unites us to himself. Uh, And the last component of of a thing that has vitality is that the the people are going to the same place. They have the same destination. They have the same vision. They have the same dream. And for believers, that destination is very beautiful. And it's simply that Jesus is returning. If you look at the end of the passage, there's these these people in white robes and they show up. And you've got to be thinking, you know, if they're looking up, like, that was weird. He was standing here, and then he, like, floated away into this cloud. And then these two guys show up, and they're like, hey, why are you looking up there? I was like, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> dude flew away. Um, uh, but they come to him, and this is what they say. They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. And simply put, when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back. That's what... Christian people look forward to and stake our claim in, there will no longer be a God's place in our place. But that Jesus will marry them together. They will be one place where God dwells and where human people dwell on earth forever and everything will be put right. What is not right in you and around you right now? On that day, everything will be made right and there will be nothing between you and the full enjoyment of God. And that matters for you tonight because um, no matter what comes this semester or comes at the end of the year or after graduation or in that one class or on your hall or with your friends back home, you can look forward to the future always if Jesus is coming back. My children have no trouble getting excited about things that are going to happen. It's almost funny when you're like, Hey, Olivia's coming over, and they're like, yes! You know, like, they're, like, thrilled. Like, like, and we would say it's because they lack self-awareness. But I actually think there's something wrong with us. Like, they're starting to grow out. My oldest is starting to become cynical about when things are coming. Um, uh, and they're going to eventually to believe that nothing is as good as it was promised to be. And that it's all just marketing. And the marketing always oversells and under delivers. And Jesus is inviting each of you tonight into a new life where that actually works backward. Where the things that are coming ahead are impossibly better than you could possibly have imagined them to be. Um, when you can actually begin, the best is not behind you, but the best is always to come because Jesus is alive. And he is in heaven and you're united to him there. And he's coming again to make everything sad come untrue. And it will be better than we could possibly imagine. That's the hope. 
And what I hope that you will do is that you will stick around with us this semester uh, and see what that could look like for you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you um, for the hope that we have in Jesus, that you, Lord Jesus, died and were raised. That means we can have new life, that you're in the Father and we're united to you, and that means that we have joy now and can have joy now. And Lord, that you're coming back, and that means that we have the most beautiful, amazing thing to look forward to. And Lord, I ask that wherever anyone is here tonight, um, that you would meet them with that good news. And we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Just like heaven